Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Bible Breakdown. Thanks for tuning in this week. I did want to share with y'all a milestone that we have reached here with The Bible Breakdown. We have now reached 1,600 total plays, and I am just very grateful um, for all of you for your listenership, for your loyalty, and for taking some time out of your day to Listen, I always look forward to this part of the week and recording, and it brings me a lot of joy. So I'm glad that it has been something that you've kept up with and just want to mostly just say thank you for for listening and letting me be a part of uh, your week when you listen to the Bible Breakdown. So just very excited and wanted to share that with y'all. Um, so I did also want to tell we're once again leaving the poor Israelites in the desert. We're going over to 2 Timothy 3 this week. So it is in... Uh, our lesson rhythm, Uh, I I think what the goal is from the Gospel Project here is to remind us uh, of the value of reading the Old Testament. And I think that's why we take some little breaks to talk about some things that the New Testament points out about the Old Testament, because uh, this may be you, this may be not, uh, but sometimes it can be harder to see the value of reading the Old Testament because so many things have changed since Jesus uh, lived on earth and died and was raised from the dead. And that is true. Uh, But we also want to be reminded that all of God's word is valuable. In fact, we're going to talk about how today, so I won't spoil it. But I think that's kind of the the goal here, in case you're wondering why we ran over to, I think it was either either first or second Peter a few weeks ago, then back to Joshua, and then now we're here. I think that's kind of why. That's kind of the rhythm that we're in. So today it is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to make it through most of it. And uh, so 2 Timothy is a letter to Timothy, not from Timothy. Um, It is from Paul to Timothy. Uh, Paul was a mentor uh, to Timothy. And uh, Timothy was a pastor of a church in Ephesus. So that was kind of the role that he found himself in by the time of this writing. This is also believed to be Paul's very last letter. So that's the tradition of uh, scripture is that this is one of his latest letters. He was in prison, uh, wrote it, I say, believed to be and tradition only because there we may not have, there may be letters that he wrote that were not ordained by God to be a part of scripture. So I don't want to pretend that he never wrote, like, bring me a blanket on a piece of paper and it counted as a letter and we just don't have it. So this is the last letter in the canon as far as, uh, as we know traditionally that Paul wrote. So it's a very important one. Paul's getting to the end of his life. Timothy is kind of in the prime of his ministry, and this is what Paul is writing to him about. So he starts out in chapter three, verse one, by saying this. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So before we get too far, I just want to make sure that just a little bit about the term last days when we see it in the New Testament, because for us, when we read last days, I think most naturally what comes up is uh, right before Christ returns. And that's kind of what we think of as the last days, because this is the only days that we've known, right? We've only known the time from, at least spiritually speaking, not that we were alive 2000 years ago, but we know the era, the church era uh, from after Jesus ascension until now this church era. Um, That's all we know. So there's not something for us to compare it to. But that's actually what the term last days most often refers to in the New Testament is the church age. And that meaning from the time of basically Pentecost onward. And of that, of course, being closely linked to the ascension of Jesus after his resurrection. So 
when he's saying in the last days, he's basically saying in the days that you're in and on forward until Jesus returns is what Paul is describing to Timothy. So we don't have to think like, oh, this is what life is going to be like one day, because as we jump into it, we're going to see no, this pretty easily describes our world now. And apparently it described the world that Paul was living in. So there's a definitely a significant continuity there, but just want to be clear on that in case you've ever seen last days in scripture and been like, but that kind of seems like now, <gasps> does that mean we're Jesus is about to come back? Maybe, but we don't know. And it's not because uh, of the use of the term last days, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So then moving on to verse two, Paul writes, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Is that all, Paul? Nope, there's more. Moving on to verse six. For among them are those with who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those to men. That's a lot, right? That's a lot in this first uh, paragraph, a very, very heavy topic here from Paul. Now, in case you're wondering why I didn't stop and, well, I guess I am stopping. So y'all know that I'm the name stickler, the English transliteration name stickler. And I'm always like, oh, they should be saying it this way, not this way. And it's really annoying and I always do it. But this one, uh, you may notice, I just kind of gave up on and just kind of gave. So these are Egyptian names. And then, of course, they would have been translated scripturally into Hebrew. And then the Hebrew probably would have taken a little, would have taken a, a trip over to Greek. And then Greek would have taken a trip over to English. So we're like four languages removed from what those names actually were. So I feel like trying to pronounce them is probably an exercise in futility. So I'm just going to go with... Uh, what it looks like in English. So there you go. So you didn't, you did get a lecture, but it was a different lecture on the names this time. Uh, this section of Second Timothy is what uh, are sometimes called the vice lists. So basically a list of things you can do wrong or qualities you can have wrong uh, in scripture. Paul has a number of these in his writings. Um, and I, I do believe that this was somewhat common um, in in writings of that of that time that people would have these kind of long lists where they um, put a, a lot into them just one after the one after another and so these are things that are describing people that are not following god uh, does i don't know about y'all but doesn't disobedient to the parents like seem a little out of place compared to some of those other ones but god places a lot of value in the household design and order um, remember also obeying the uh, mother and father made it into the Ten Commandments with a lot of other things that you might say, oh, does that really quite fit? And for all you parents out there, uh, God holds the design and order of the household very seriously. It's not something to be uh, dismissive of, to think like, oh, kids being disobedient to their parents, eh, whatever, it's not a big deal. 
it's kind of important. So I hope you feel vindicated, parents, that uh, your children should obey. But uh, other than that, I think we see a lot of things that we can see in ourselves. And then if we're being honest, we can see in others, right? Sometimes that's a little easier, speck in the eye, log in the eye, so to speak, as Jesus puts it. It's very easy for us to see the speck in somebody else's eye and ignore the log in our own eye. But I, so it's, it, there's some value in that to be able to recognize what God calls sin and how we can be uh, tempted toward it, or we can have a kind of natural sinful in- inclination toward it. Um, but that's not primarily what the function of this paragraph is. So this is not primarily referring, like Paul is not referring to believers here. He's not saying, hey, there's going to be some people that are truly dedicated to Jesus Christ, and this is what they're going to be like. This is more, these are the people who are are not dedicated to Jesus, who do not believe in Jesus, who do not have the Holy Spirit. These are some of these qualities that will define them. And again, we don't want to be uh, arrogant to say, especially because I think arrogance made the list, isn't it? It's hard to tell. There's so many of them. Swollen with conceit. That That's good. No, arrogance in there too. So it's basically in there twice. So we don't want to think that we're above struggling with those things, but we also want to recognize that being children of God, we are described that way and we still struggle with sin, but these qualities do not define us. We are defined by who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf. So it's helpful to see ourselves there, less helpful to see other people there, but sometimes easier. Um, But to think like, oh, this is for me to have a list of sins to avoid is not really what Paul's going for here. So just want to make that clear. Um, So Paul is warning Timothy here in this paragraph that he'll encounter people like this um, in his ministry. And I don't think he means primarily in his ministry to people who, again, have the Holy Spirit, but people who um, he will be evangelizing to. He tells him, uh, I think it's in this letter. Yeah, it's just there in chapter four to uh, be ready to preach the word in and out of season, do the work of an evangelist. So that's part of uh, any any believer's life. And for especially you think about a first century pastor, um, there's not just a ton of believers saying, oh, I'm looking for a local church. But instead, it's people who need to hear the message of Jesus. So what Paul is doing, he's warning Timothy of people that will be kind of in the world, in the culture around him. And he's also setting up a contrast that in, in which we will see ourselves a little more. So as we move into verse 10, Here's the contrast he sets up. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So uh, there's a few ways that this is a, a nice contrast. One, he says, however, which is always a good hint that we are in a contrast territory. Uh, but then he's also, he makes another list. But this list, instead of being a vice list, is a list of really awesome things. And of things that Timothy has picked up from Paul. I don't think Paul is intending for us to believe that these are the only elements of his actions, but that he's kind of pointing out, these are the things that you've chosen to learn from me. You've followed my, my teaching, you followed my conduct and things like this. So I think he's kind of pointing out the good things that he's been able to learn from Paul. 
So um, we're going to get into kind of a second thing that he's emphasizing in this paragraph. But this first half of the paragraph, Paul is emphasizing community and learning from others. So part of what makes a contrast between Timothy and the people that he's going to encounter in his culture is that he has followed Paul's example. Now, like I mentioned, uh, Paul is like a mentor figure to Timothy. So this is maybe a little more specifically when we refer to their relationship, um, isn't like general biblical community, but it's this mentor-mentee kind of relationship. But I think it's important to recognize the principles are applicable to general biblical community as well as kind of mentorship relationships. So uh, being around other people who serve as examples of godliness is a vital part of living a life for Jesus. Part of being different than the world, and the world being those who do not know Jesus, is, and therefore avoiding, kind of being described as one of those qualities that we saw in the first paragraph here, uh, part of that is being around others and some of them being more mature than us. Having examples of godliness is a vital part of living a life for Jesus. So as we mature more and more, not only should we be around good examples, but we should be that good example as well. So I want to give you a, for instance, so a 10-year-old can make decisions that are a, a great example of godliness to a 40-year-old. So it's not like just because you're young that you don't have any place to have an example. Now, people may not see your example and take it because sometimes when we get older, we think we don't have anything to learn from people that are younger than us. Um, but a 10-year-old showing great generosity with a small amount they've been given can be a great example to a 40-year-old who's maybe struggling with uh, with greed and struggling with uh, being disobedient in uh, giving. But at the same time, we also know that if we follow that 10-year-old all the time, that uh, they're probably going to more often than not need an example to follow rather than provide an example to follow, right? So as we mature, that's why I say more and more, because at any age, if we have the Holy Spirit, we have the full Holy Spirit. A kid's pastor I once talked to said, Kids don't receive a kid-sized version of the Holy Spirit. They get the whole full Holy Spirit. So anyone who's believed in Jesus, any age, has the Holy Spirit. And therefore, with the Holy Spirit working through them, can be an example. However, as we mature, as we participate in what the Holy Spirit is bringing us into in our sanctification, we should also be more and more growing in maturity and becoming an example to others, to others who have not known Jesus as long who have not had the examples already of maturity before them. So part of living a godly life is purposefully being both a, a, a giver of community and a receiver of community, recognizing that we have an opportunity to use our gifts for the betterment of others, to be an example for others, but then also recognizing we need the get to re sometimes receive the gifts of others, to receive the examples of others. So one way that we are different in the world is by participating in community. And then we are going to see here in the second half of the paragraph, and this, this part may be uh, pretty familiar to some of you. It's a fairly famous uh, passage about scripture. Um, but second part, we're going to see Paul is emphasizing the importance of scripture. So in verse 15, it says, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that 16 and 17 is a, a pretty, like I said, a pretty well-known verse for um, what scripture is and a scripture's defense of scripture, so to speak. But Paul's emphasizing if we want to be different from the world, if we want to be separate from the people in the last days who have the difficulty, people who are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, part of that is a digging into scripture. So uh, earlier in this letter, uh, Paul actually points out that uh, Timothy's grandmother and mother both taught him the things of God. So that's why he says from, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Um, he had a, a, a grandmother and a mother who um, got him involved with sacred writings. Now, what is what are sacred writings? So Timothy was probably in his 20s or 30s when Paul wrote this letter. So his childhood was mo more than likely extremely likely before any of the New Testament books had been written, before a single one of them had been written. I think that usually the one that gets the earliest date is uh, James, right around like 8050 um, in that range. So that's usually the one of the earliest dates for any of the books. And in 8050, I would bet that Timothy was kind of like a teen probably. And uh, I would bet that he didn't get his hands on the letter from James until much later than that, because it's not like, again, it's not like James posted it to his blog, right? He wrote it on some parchment and then they had to copy it and distribute it and all that good stuff. So I say all that to say that the sacred writings, which Paul is referring to, and then the scripture that he's referring to is the Old Testament. Now, I think it's interesting because of some of the things that Paul claims about these sacred writings, this scripture. In verse 15, he says that it is able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so he's more than likely talking about here the Old Testament. Because in the early church, the primary text they would read from were the Old Testament. So again, talked about Timothy's timeline specifically, but even even for people who were younger, older, whatever, the letters were being written and they were being circulated to an extent, but they weren't copied in large quantities. Um, there wasn't easy distribution of these letters that Paul is writing, that John is writing, that Matthew's writing, that Mark is writing, that Luke is writing, Peter, all of these things are not able to be widely distributed enough like we have today where everybody can have 10 different versions at once. They could have a paper Bible. They could have it on their Kindle. They could have it on their phone. You know, you could have so many different ways to access a Bible and then access different versions of the Bible, right? They didn't have that. So primarily, what they did have a little more of was the Old Testament. So primarily they would, when it talks about the apostle, them listening to the apostles teaching and things like that in Acts, probably a lot of that is coming from the Old Testament. So it's kind of funny because Paul is writing, honestly, a little above his head here. He's talking about the Old Testament, but he probably doesn't fully realize that God is also using his writings as scripture as well. 
he he may know he, he may not know he may know, have no clue um, that he's writing about his own writings it's kind of like scriptureception here so the fact too that he's he's saying that the old testament is able to make a person wise for salvation through faith in jesus it's very interesting right because we usually think oh yeah the new testament we learn about jesus and that's how we learn about him but what paul is telling timothy is that hey based on the the teaching you have received from me and from other church leaders that along with the old testament should be firmly able to show you what it means to have salvation through faith in jesus so paul is basically saying this this teaching you've received about jesus you may not have it in a writing but the teaching you received is compatible with this Old Testament that you have known since you were a child, these sacred writings. So I think it's important for us to, as we seek to understand the, the value of the Old Testament in our lives, Paul is kind of alluding to the fact that the Old Testament has been talking about Jesus too, that it's not just the New Testament that's talking about Jesus. And there's an opportunity for us to see who Jesus is, to see this plan for salvation through faith in Jesus in the Old Testament. That's what he's encouraging Timothy with, um, that this scripture has been breathed out by God and that it has it is profitable. It's profitable. He says teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, and that it grants the per a person to move toward completeness and maturity in Christ through studying scripture. Now, we have the joy of getting to have both Old and New Testament. But again, it's not a, a time where we decide either or. But instead, all of God's word, God's word, Old Testament and New Testament, have the ability to teach, correct, train, etc. And they both, both Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament, all God's word help us grow into complete people in the Lord. So we got Paul talking about the Old Testament, whether he's certain about it or not. He's kind of writing about his own writings, too, as we'll, of course, take this and 12 others of his writings as scripture in addition to those of the authors I mentioned earlier and some others, um, and those will be what we comprise as scripture. So, but it's it's interesting to think that as we read this in the New Testament, that he's primarily probably got in mind the Old Testament. And so this is Paul's point, this whole paragraph, as we put it into one, we synthesize it, we need both. Community without scripture is kind of more of a social club, right? If we don't have some sort of higher truth that we're committing ourselves to and we're just kind of relying on ourselves eventually we'll go astray pretty quick and that at that point kind of makes our community just a, a social club because eventually our own ideas will start to become dominant because of our sinfulness if we're not rooted in the truth of something that is god's word but scripture without community can lead to legalism it can lead to atrophy um, in our faith uh, it can lead to the atrophy, atrophy in the use of our gifts um, we've been given gifts not to use them in uh, solitude, but to use them in community for the betterment of others. So Paul's saying, Timothy, continue in both. The reason you're where you are is because you have had parts in both, that you've had this example in me and that you've also, um, that you also will continue to commit yourself to the sacred writings that you've known since you were a kid. So that's, I think, kind of what Paul is saying is a di the difference. That's the contrast between People who live for themselves, people who live for God, is people who live for God both give and receive in community, and they also are committed to God's word. So as we seek to apply this passage, there's two things for us, I think, here. One is engagement with community. 
So the community can come in a lot of different ways and it comes in different ways for different people. Um, and ideally you have all of these things, but um, community can be your family. Um, your family can be a community uh, of believers because if we are believers in Jesus primarily, um, we are identified as children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can learn from one another though, of course, family also got to live with each other all the time, right? So it's not always the easiest. So that's where friends come in too, right? Friends are also, um, again, if they believe in Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, friends are an important part of engaging with community. Um, just being around family or friends itself doesn't make it necessarily biblical community, but it definitely can be at times. And then of course, we, in a more traditional way, participating in your local church, participating by uh, having teaching, by participating in prayer, by using your gifts for the betterment of the body, by taking time uh, to worship, by taking time of fellowship, by taking time of study uh, in the word, all of these things um, kind of coalesce into what it means to be a part of a local church. So all of those ways that we can engage with community and should engage in community for uh, our good and for the good of others, not thinking, well, I don't necessarily need community. It's like, well, a, we do all need community, but B, um, you're also, people are missing out on what God has called you to, what gifts he's given you. So that is also a part of, of community. And then second is the reading of scripture. So I firmly believe that ideally we should all read scripture, some portion of scripture every day, because we are, it is easy for us to forget um, the values of God, the principles of God, and uh, who, the character of God, who we are, um, as we find ourselves not engaging with truth, a lot of times our opinion of what who we are and what we deserve goes higher, and who God is and what he deserves goes lower, until we can sometimes get it inverted. So I say that to say, I do believe that we should all read scripture every day if we have the opportunity. But here's the here's a really important thing. It shouldn't be out of guilt. And if we don't read scripture in a day, it should not be something that we should heap guilt upon ourselves for. So, I mean, as I've already alluded to, scripture was not widely circulated at the time of Paul's writing. But even you think about through most of human history, especially before the printing press, um, especially before literacy was like commonplace, People couldn't just pick up a, a Bible and read it. So that's, we're talking about most of church history, the like 90% of church history at the least. It, it was, it would be pretty much unreasonable to say every believer in Jesus should read their Bible every day because A, they didn't have it. They couldn't read. They didn't have all of it. They didn't have it in their language, whatever the case may be. And of course, that's still the case for some people in the world. So to say rigidly that, well, if you're not reading your Bible every day, um, then you're clearly acting in rebellion against God um, is not really a fair statement. And we should also, we have to change our perspective on what scripture is. Scripture is a gift from God. Scripture is not a taskmaster. God did not give us scripture so that it could sit there tapping its ruler on its uh, wrist and kind of in a threatening way, or as if God's standing there with his arms crossed, giving you the side eye whenever you don't sit down to read your Bible. It can be very easy because it's so available. And so we know we should read it, right? As I mentioned, I think we should. Um, but I, I don't want us to be in a place where we heap guilt upon ourselves when we 
say miss a day of reading or miss a couple of days of reading. That's not why we have the gift of scripture is to make us feel guilty. We should want to read scripture as, as while we recognize that it is a gift out of desire, out of a, an, an obedience, um, but also recognizing that it shouldn't be a source of great guilt or shame for us if we're not uh, reading scripture at a rate that we think we're being called to. It's something to grow in for certain, but not something that we should, again, keep guilt upon ourselves for. So part of living a godly life in addition to community is being grounded in scripture. Mostly that is through reading it. Of course, now we also have lots of devices that will read the Bible to us, which is, again, amazing that we have that opportunity and has definitely not been available for most of human history. So if we want to continue to mature and grow and uh, be the people of God that he is calling us to be, being part of community, being engaged with scripture are important. But again, not using those, those gifts as opportunities to keep guilt upon ourselves in an unfair way. There's, of course, a place for conviction and feeling led by the Holy Spirit to engage more in community, to read scripture more but not allowing our own ideas or our culture's ideas of how much you should be reading and what you should be reading to dictate that. So I hope that's an encouragement to you this week that God is calling. He's given us this great gift of scripture, a great gift in community, and that by engaging those things, we don't find ourselves the people of the world who are focused on self and the things of this world, but instead we can become a people that love one another and ultimately love God and are dedicated to bringing him glory.